Turn your Bibles not to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. While you turn there, I want to mention, I've had some folks ask me about this. We've got on our church calendar a young adult Sunday school picnic, and we've, we've postponed that indefinitely for scheduling reasons. But I've had a few folks ask me, don't want you to be wondering about it, wondering if we're going to do it. We may do it a little later in the year, but for right now, we're going to put that on hold. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now leadeth will lead until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in this place. I do also, Lord, pray for these prayer requests that have been given. Lord, I'm so excited to hear how you're working in the lives of your people. I'm excited to hear about souls being saved and and doors of opportunity being open to be a witness for the gospel. Lord, I just pray that you continue to work effectually in our lives. And may we, Lord, be faithful to take up every opportunity that you give us. Lord, help us to not be blind. Lord, help us to not be obtuse. Help us to, to be ever sensitive to an opportunity to be a witness for you and for your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching tonight. And I pray that it uplift and magnify Jesus Christ in our midst. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested tonight in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and in particular in a phrase that is used in verse number 13. The Bible says we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. 
You know, I've always told you that if you don't know the Bible in context, you don't know it at all. And when you read the book of Second Thessalonians, more than maybe some of the other Pauline epistles, it is imperative that you understand what prompted Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica. Uh, the Bible reveals to us as we study the context and content of this passage that this little church was in a time of great theological turmoil. Uh, there had been some that had been preaching to the believers gathered at Thessalonica that the rapture had already transpired and that they had been left behind. This would have placed them, of course, squarely at the beginning of the tribulation period and facing unimaginable horrors and affliction and persecution. Not to mention it left them wondering what that meant about their status as believers, that they were left behind to face these horrors. And what did it mean about them that they had not been caught up with those that had been gathered unto the Lord? It also presented all sorts of problems about their loved ones that had died. What did it mean about the rapture? What did it mean about the resurrection? In other words, it had messed up not just all their eschatology, but all their theology. They didn't know what they believed about anything. And Paul is disturbed by this uh, state of affairs. And so the Holy Ghost puts pen in his hand and he begins to write to these believers to untangle the confused thread that they had and to help them be comforted that God's plan and that God's calendar was running exactly on time. Hey, you say, well, preacher, that's interesting. It helps me understand a little bit as I read the book of Second Thessalonians. But what does it mean for my life? Well, I want you to stop and consider some similarities to them in their day and some things we're facing in our day. Let me say, number one tonight, that for them it was a time of great distress. Listen to the language Paul uses in verses 1 and 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. By the way, that's the rapture, amen? We're gathered together unto Him. We're caught away unto Him. That's what the rapture is. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. In other words, they looked around at the world around them and were greatly distressed and disturbed at the prospect of how rapidly things seemed to be unraveling around them. I'll be honest with you, you really can't blame these early New Testament believers for thinking they might have stepped into the tribulation when you consider the intense persecution they were experiencing on every hand. In other words, they were looking around and saying, man, it looks like things are shaking apart. It looks like things are falling to pieces. I don't know about you, but and I don't mean to pour mouth the, the, the goodness of God in our life, certainly by any stretch. But I think we would all agree that we are living in a rapidly deteriorating situation. I mean, I, listen, I, things are getting from bad to worse to even worser, amen, all the time. And if we're not careful, it will become a distressing reality in our life. We'll get so focused on how bad things are falling apart that we'll forget that God has got everything under his control. You're living in a time where if you choose to, how plugged up we are through social media, through uh, the Internet, through information. And I don't think any of those things are necessarily just a net negative. But certainly in our society, you can stay constantly tore up. You can stay constantly distressed. You can stay constantly bothered by things around you on every hand. And that can become your normal, everyday operating attitude is, Oh, preacher, everything's falling to pieces. 
The question then becomes, what are we to do in response to that situation? So it was a time of great distress. But then I would note number two, it was a time of great deceit. Notice what Paul says here in verse two, that you be not soon shaken in mind. He says, I don't want your peace of mind to be disturbed. I don't want you to be troubled. He says, here are some of the things that might seem to cause that, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ, meaning the appearing of Jesus Christ, meaning the rapture has already happened, the tribulation is occurring. He says, I don't want you to be disturbed or troubled by spirit or by word or by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And then he says this, let no man deceive you by any means. In other words, he says, let me correct the record right now as to what God has said concerning his prophetic calendar. And he recognizes that there were people that were were peddling various heresies and various deceits and various lies. And, and to beat it all beyond that, they were doing it in Paul's name. I got a call on Sunday or I got a text message on Sunday uh, from a pastor friend of mine. He uh, He sent me a message and. And pastors do this sometimes. He said, uh, he said, hey, some of your friends came, visited me at church. And I know what that means. Amen. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking in my mind, well, now, who am I missing? Amen. I, I don't think I've got any sheep that have wandered off. Amen. Who am I? Who am I missing? I thought, really, all of our folks are at home sick. Amen. Or laid out and they're at Dollywood or at the beach or something. Or they ain't spiritual enough to go somewhere else. Amen. They're just at home. And uh, but I started to think to myself, now, who could that be? And I, I texted him. I said, who is that? He said, David and Christopher. And then I sat there and I thought, I don't I don't know a David. I don't know a Christopher. And so I got on the phone and I started talking to him and investigating a little bit and everything. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, they know you. I said, they know me. I said, how do they know me? He said, well, they said that's where they've been going to church. I said, they did. He said, yeah, I said, Wall Ridge Baptist Church, Toby Weber said, that's where we've been going. I said, they did. He said, yeah, they said they'd gone there, been going there for a while and just finally couldn't take it anymore. Said they're sitting there and listening to him preach and said, the guy ain't nothing but a Zionist and we're leaving. That's what they said about me. I don't even know these cats. Amen. And I thought to myself, now, listen, I got enough people. I mean, I've had people lie and say they didn't know me. But I don't think I've ever had anybody lie and say they did know me. Amen. And uh, and I and I thought to myself, I thought, I don't know who they now. Maybe you know who they are. I don't know if you do. You let me know. But I don't think I've ever met these people in my life. I thought I have enough crazy former members floating out there in society. I don't need any of them that I never even pastored. Amen. And I, I told my pastor friend, I said, well, you know, we had homecoming and, and he had said some things to make him mad anyway. And that's probably good. I, I figured they wouldn't be back. But I thought, could you imagine look on their face? Because we weren't having service Sunday night if I just showed up at church. Amen. And sat down right beside them. And uh, but I ain't spiritual enough to do that. Amen. So I didn't. But I, what made me mad, what, I mean, hey, they're going around peddling on whatever good credit exists left in my name. They're trafficking in it. Amen. That made me mad. I mean, that was disturbing to me. The idea that they'd be out using my name and Paul, he's disturbed at the fact that there's people going around and peddling lies, peddling error, parroting wrong things and peddling wrong things to these people. It was a time of great deceit. It was a time when they didn't know what to believe. 
Can I say we're living in a world where people don't know what to believe anymore. And where every manner of deceit and every manner of error is peddled on an ongoing basis. And you feel like you have to constantly safeguard your mind against wrong things that are assaulting you on every hand. You say, preacher, it's terrible and it's like the days we're living in. And that's true in many ways. It is. But I would remind you that God does not leave his people without a course of action. And that's what he gives us in verse 13. You see, he goes through and he details all of these great eschatological truths. He he details all these things of, of what God's going to do and what God's calendar looks like. But then in verse 13, he says, but we. In other words, so what are we to do in response to that? He says this, but we are bound. I want to preach on that thought for just a moment or two tonight. We are bound to do some things in these days we're living in. Now, what does that mean we are bound? Well, it can have two sort of ideas, but they really go hand in hand. They're almost two different sides of the same coin. I would say, number one, to say we are bound implies that we are constrained to do something. In other words, that we are, we could use this terminology, duty bound to do certain things. In other words, it is not just that we are floating through this world best as we know how, free of any responsibilities. You and I are soldiers in the army of the Lord. We have responsibilities as to how we are to live even in these wicked times. We are constrained to do some things. But then I would say, number two, it implies that we are committed to do some things. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, it's not just we should, but it's that if we're going to please the Lord, we need to make up in our mind that no matter come what may in society, there are some things that we as believers will not abdicate our responsibilities for, and we're going to do these things no matter what happens in the world around us. I want you to notice three thoughts tonight, and then we'll be done. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always. To God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd say, number one tonight, even in a world shaking apart, even in a world that's covered over with deceit, you and I, we are bound to stay thankful. Paul says, I know how messed up it is, but it ain't God's fault that it's that way. I know how messed up it is, but it ain't God's people's fault that it's that way. And so he says, no matter come what may, I will not let the distress of this world rob me of my gratitude towards God. I'm going to be honest with you. We're all this way. I mean, I think most all of us are this way. We all have a tendency, and I guess we're just sort of uh, of just venting. I guess we're just sort of having a cynical perspective. But if we're not careful, man, we'll give the impression that we have nothing to be thankful for in our life. I know how messed up the world is. I know how broken the world is. I see it. I may see it more than even a lot of people do as a pastor. But can I tell you this, there's far more in my life that there is to give praise to God for and to give thanks to God for than there ever could be for me to complain about. I don't want to let the wickedness and brokenness of the world rob me of my gratitude. Notice two things Paul says we ought to stay thankful for. The first thing is we ought to stay thankful for God's people. That's what he says. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now, remember the immediate context of this passage of Scripture. It's a group of false teachers that are leading God's people astray. 
And Paul says, listen, I know there's a lot of scoundrels out there. I know there's a lot of messed up people out there. I know there's a lot of people that bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. And we could spend all of our time wringing our hands over all the messed up people that claim the name of Christ. Or we could spend a little time rejoicing and giving thanks for those that are faithfully serving him. It's something I had to learn in pastoring because in pastoring you always want to be forward looking and you always want things to grow and you always want God to enlarge your coast. But if you're not careful, you can get so focused on the people that walked out the door that you miss the people that walked in the door. You can get so focused on the people that just gave up that you miss the people that have stuck in. And one of the great sources of encouragement, not just for a pastor, but for each and every person that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to be people that have maintained a faithful testimony and they're living right and they're doing right and they're walking right. Hey, you forfeit a great source of comfort and encouragement when you get your eyes off of what God is doing in the lives of people. Paul says we ought to never get to the place where we're not grateful for the people that are living for the Lord and encouraging us in our Christian walk. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, this is one of the reasons I want to thank God for you. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Calvinists would read that and say, well, there it is, preacher. He's chosen us. Amen. But what has he chosen? I would say this, the notion that God is picking some to heaven and some to hell. Even if you can hogtie a passage and wring its neck until you can get some semblance of a coherent rendering of that concept, does not undo the entirety of the rest of the testimony of Scripture that flies directly in the face of that wrong teaching. In other words, even if you could suggest that's what he's saying there, that still ain't going to erase the fact that he tasted death for every man. It's still not going to erase the fact that whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It still ain't going to erase the fact that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So instead of trying to out-Bible the Bible with the Bible, maybe it would make more sense to just try to get a right understanding of the passage in the context. And here's the right understanding. He's saying, here's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that God, in saving you, has chosen to do so through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. In other words, he's saying, I rejoice in the fact that God has done a spiritual work in you and has grounded you in the truth of his work. One of the things I love about how God works is that God works from the inside outward. The world does the exact opposite. They can only work from the outside inward. But God works from the inside outward. And so he's looking at a group of believers that are beset about with with false teaching. And he's disturbed by that. But then he's reminded that when God saved them, he put the spirit of God in them and a hunger and love of the truth in them. And that that will prevail above all else. In other words, I'd say this, we ought to be thankful For his people, but we are bound to stay thankful for his plan. That no matter what the enemy seeks to do, none of it preempts God's perfect plan. God knows what he's doing. I'm glad. Hey, listen, I understand unbelief in this world has run rampant. But I've read the end of this book and faith defeats doubt. Belief triumphs over unbelief. Righteousness wins out over wickedness. I've read the end of it and seen that God's plan comes together. 
And listen, whatever's happening in this world, I can be thankful of the fact that God has everything perfectly under his control. I'd say, number one tonight, we're bound to stay thankful no matter what's happening. But then notice what he says in verse 15. He says, therefore, now remember, your therefores are there for a reason. Therefore, predicated on this, knowing this to be true, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. I'd say not only are we bound, in other words, we are constrained to, so we ought to be committed to stay faithful as well. Not just thankful, we ought to stay faithful. We ought to be steadfast no matter what. It ought to, listen, it ought to be easy for us cantankerous as most of us are. Most of us would be willing to fight to the death over something that was trivial. Why don't we put that energy to good use in standing for what's right and for what's true? Notice the way you got, you all right tonight? You good? Did I step on something when I said that? You got all quiet on me, amen? Notice two things that he points out in this endeavor to stay faithful. Notice number one, he points to the right posture. I like this. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. He says, just stay right where you are. That's what he says. That's what stand fast means. It doesn't mean back up and it doesn't mean jump forward. It means plant your feet and stay right where you're at. Can I tell you something the world struggles with is the notion that believers would be immovable in their convictions. Because the world is is really grounded on the concept that everything's relative and that everything changes. I mean, you stop and think about it. All of, of industry, for the most part in society, is, is predicated on the idea that what's in this season will be out next season and something else will be in that season. That what's in right now won't stay in. And then here the world runs headlong into Christians, Bible believers, holding God's holy, immutable, inerrant word in their hand and saying, this never changes. And it's no wonder the world doesn't understand that. Here's what Paul says. He says, I know you're living in a fluid world. I know you're living in a world that's ever changing, but that shouldn't change you. You should stand true and right and firm on the authority of God's word and be immovable concerning what you know to be true. You see, it shouldn't really matter what comes into into vogue next week. That shouldn't change you and I. It shouldn't really matter what comes into trends a year from now. That shouldn't affect us. That shouldn't change us. We should stand firmly on what's true, irrespective of whether the world is shifting and moving around us. I, I would say this. He points to the right posture that we need to have in our life. But then number two, he points to the right position. I like this verse. A lot of people have a problem with this verse. I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I like this verse. He says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, I've heard lots of preachers point to this as an endorsement of the concept of traditions writ large. And I will say there's traditions are not inherently bad. There's traditions that are good traditions. There are traditions that are bad traditions. But it's important in the context to understand that what Paul means when he says hold the traditions which you have been taught is he's talking about their doctrinal positions. And he's saying there are certain things that we believe that have traditionally been held to be true and correct and we should not feel as though we are compelled to move away from those things simply because the world is moving away from We are constantly berated with this idea that Bible Christianity is outmoded and is outdated. It's not outdated. It's timeless. 
It's not susceptible to the moving of, of the winds of culture or of academia. It's bigger, it's grander, it's transcendent to those things. It is larger than those things. And, and, and heaven forbid that we should ever be shamed into feeling as though we must change for change's sake. We live in a society that is obsessed, that is addicted to change as a practice. A lot of that has to do with the frenetic energy of a soul that is not grounded in anything. Rootless and has to constantly be doing something. Else that frenetic energy uh, creates destruction in their life. My kids, uh, and my kids love these things. Your kids probably do too. If you don't know what they are, that just means you ain't found them in your kid's toy box. But uh, the, my kids, have you seen these fidget spinners? You know what I'm talking about? It's the, all it is is a ball bearing with a piece of plastic around it. It probably costs eight cents to make, but somebody's sitting on a yacht somewhere because they invented it. And kids, you know, when they originally came up with those, they were intended for kids that have ADHD to help them focus when they were in school. Because if they don't do something with that energy, they begin to grow distracted and destructive and so on and so forth. But you know what they found? They found every kid likes to fidget. Every kid likes to fidget. Not just every kid. Every adult does too. I see you all balancing your checkbooks, checking your Facebook. Everybody likes to fidget. Because if we're not careful, that restlessness will produce something negative in our behavior. But can I say this? Hey, when God saved you in a spiritual sense, in a broad sense, in an ideological sense, you could put the fidget spinner down. He grounded your soul in something eternal. And this notion that ideologically we must constantly be running to some new thing is foreign and alien to Scripture. Vance Havner, you say we don't need some new thing. We need something so old that it seems new. In other words, we don't need to run to some new thing to fix and to distract and to, to somehow thrill and, and, and uh, to somehow tantalize our interests, but rather we need to ground ourselves in eternal truths. Paul says, listen, we ought to hold the traditions which you have been taught. He says this, whether by word or our epistle. Notice he's saying whether it's something we told you face to face or something that we have sent to you by letter. But the common thread betwixt it is that he's saying that under apostolic authority, which, of course, is a thing of the past, as the apostles are a thing of the past. But in God giving his inspired word in the New Testament, he's talking about biblical truth. And he's saying you should not be moved from biblical truth. You should ground yourself in. I will tell you in your life and mine, you say, preacher, everybody's messed up. The world's crazy. I know, but you ain't got to go crazy with them. I, preacher, everybody, I mean, people, you stand on truth and now they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, but you don't have to go with them. You as a Bible believer, you say, preacher, what should my what should my position as a Bible believer be? Cantankerous obstinance. That should be your position as a Bible believer. Steadfast, right? I'm not going to move unless you can show me in my Bible that I should move. I'm not going to change what I believe about this unless you show me in, in my Bible why I should change what I believe about that. Because God doesn't change. And we ought to stand on eternal principles. I would say not only are we bound to stay thankful and are we bound to stay faithful, but notice verse 16, I'll be done tonight. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. We're bound to stay thankful and we're bound to stay faithful. But I would say, number three, we're bound to stay peaceful. We're bound to stay peaceful. Now, by that, I don't mean some pacifist dream of non-confrontation. But what I mean is that we are 
both have a responsibility and we should have a commitment to let the peace of God reign in our hearts and in our lives. Two things Paul points to. Number one, we ought to be comforted in the spirit. I love how he says, I'm going to read it again because I just enjoy it. You've already read it, but I just like to hear it. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. In other words, those are the terms under which your relationship with God exists. Everlasting consolation. He always wants you to be comforted and good hope through grace. He always wants you to be hopeful and looking to him and trusting in him. That God, Paul says, I'm praying he'll comfort your hearts. The implication is that we have all of the spiritual resources necessary to live a life of peace. You can't always make other people have peace. You can't always make other people have peace with you. But you can always determine in your life that you're going to have the peace of God. Now, I understand we all have the infirmity of the flesh and the frailty of our own of our, our of our own, you know, uh, depravity and brokenness. I'm aware of that. I, I'm not saying I do it flawlessly. I'm not saying I anticipate that you'll do it flawlessly. But I am saying if we're not comforted, if we let something rob the peace of God in our life, if we live a life that is that is racked with with worry and anxiety and, and and discouragement and disheartenment, which we are all prone to, but if we allow that to prevail in our life, it's not been a failure on God's part. It's been a failure on our part. Because he's given us everything we need to stay peaceful. He mentions being comforted in spirit. But then number two, he mentions being consistent in service. I like verse 17, the end of it. Comfort your hearts and what? And establish you in every good word and work. In other words, we could summarize it by saying this. He's saying, don't let anything scare you. You just stay faithful serving God. Don't let anything push you off. Of, of living for him. You just stay faithful serving God. You'd be amazed the problems that you introduce into your life that will never reach you. You'd be amazed the things that will never come to fruition that you allow to derail you. You'd be amazed the things that speculative worry and speculative fear that robs you of joy and of productivity for the Lord. You'd be amazed the people that never do anything for God because if they try, something might happen. The reality is nothing would happen except God would use them. And so what is to be the posture of believers in this day? Not to get, listen, I, the, <laughs> it's not our circus. They're not our monkeys. Let's just keep serving God. I'm talking about the craziness of the world. I'm talking about the insanity of society. Oh, preacher, did you see the latest news article? No, and you probably shouldn't either. Preacher, did you hear what they did? No, and it probably wouldn't edify you anyway. Preacher, did you hear what they're going to do? No, nah, they probably won't do it. And if they do do it, it'll be because God allowed it. So what are we to be doing? Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's stay thankful. Don't let anything rob your gratitude. I don't care what bad has happened to you in life. God's done far more good for you than the devil's ever done bad to you. Let's just, hey, let's stay faithful. Let's stand on the truth of God's word. I understand that the modern trend is to run to every various uh, doctrine and various dogma and, and various ideal that pops itself up on New York Times bestseller. But let's just stay grounded in this book and let's just stay peaceful. Let's just keep living for the Lord, staying steady, staying faithful. I don't know about you, man, but that's what I need on a Wednesday. That's what I need in the middle of a week that the devil's beat up on me is I just need to be reminded no matter the craziness around me that I just need to stay consistent and faithful to the Lord 
and trust all of it to God. Let's bow together this evening. Musicians going to come and play, and I want to give you the opportunity to do any business with the Lord that you might feel you need to. We are bound, Paul says. We are constrained. It's not recommended. It's required. It's, it's not optional. It's mandatory. God expects it out of our life. But not only are we bound, we should be bound. We should commit ourselves to this manner of life and to this way of living. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.